Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Critical Witness. This is our first episode of 2022, and uh, it's good to be back. We've had a, a decent break, and it's uh, also good to welcome Mike De Virgilio. And I actually didn't check; have I pronounced that correctly? No, you just follow the vowels. Amazing. People look at it and they go, ah, and then they just it's the vowels. It's it's really pretty Fantastic. simple. Fantastic! I'm, I'm glad I, I did that right. I uh, fumbled uh, Chad McIntosh's name last time, so. Um, yeah. We're good. That's, that's a fairly straightforward name. I'm not quite sure how I did that. So uh, we've, we've got Dan, we've got Mike, and we're going to be talking about uh, Christian parenting. And uh, as Mike has written a book, so therefore he is an expert. Uh, <laughs> plus he's uh, got older children than us, so he must have some experience uh, that we can learn from. So we're just going to have a chat. If you're watching live, uh, do feel free to ask us questions um and we'll try and engage with them as we go uh if you're watching it on demand well too bad <laughs> your questions um feel free to follow up by going to mike's website which is in the description and, 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 uh, and it's the first one of the year so i hope i don't ruin your whole year well uh, it can only go up if you do <laughs> <laughs> no pressure so, so there's nothing there's uh yeah there's, there's no pressure at all <laughs> Cool. And uh, good to see you. We've got Rebecca Davis from Bread of Life channel in our uh, chat. So nice to see you. So Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, in a couple of minutes and, and what led you to um, write this book. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me too. I really enjoy it. I love your podcast. You guys have fun and it's enjoyable and it's long form. And so you get to talk about stuff. So I really appreciate it. And thank you for what you do. No worries. So, um, good. So it's not for nice me. Someone does. <laughs> got one so so way over here in tampa florida so um yeah so i grew up a catholic and uh thankfully i mean there's god was always after me and um i uh i talk about the book I, when i was 13 i went outside and looked up and basically my dad almost died in a car wreck and I thought I looked up and I said, well, gosh, I guess I must not mean anything because if my dad died, you know, I wouldn't be here. And I did a regress. And so I've always thought spiritually. And then when I went to college <clears throat> at the Arizona State University, because I was from L.A., I uh, became a Christian through a, a campus organization called the Navigators. And that was a great experience. But um, I, w- w- something ch- changed when um, I came across Francis Schaeffer's The God Who Is There. And uh, the Christianity I was born again into, because that's the phrase we use then, uh, born again, was very sort of narrow and fundamentalistic. And um, and then here's Schaefer talking about Christianity and truth, the truth of applying to all of life. And, uh, I, and I just loved it. And so that's where I got my start and in interest in apologetics. And, um, and then... After that, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And then I, um, when I was 24, I met uh, through a providential coincidence, quote unquote, um, 
a gentleman who became a mentor of mine, and he uh, introduced me to Reformed theology, Calvinism, etc. And that was uh, that was definitely an eye opener and upside down for me from kind of the things I intuited about Christianity. And long story short, he uh, he suggested I go to seminary and um, put me on a reading program, studying Greek as well. And in a couple of weeks, I decided I was going to do that. <laughs> it was so, and I love to study. I love. I just God's given me a hunger, and uh, so I ended up going to Westminster Seminary in uh, Philadelphia, mm. and that was back a hundred years. Let's see how many years ago. Hundred years ago. Well, it's close, but uh, no, no. Actually, Westminster didn't even get founded until twenty-nine. So, so now it's eighty-six, eighty-seven. But thank God, because also providentially. Um, my wife happened to be there at the same time. No, she nice. wasn't my wife. She wasn't my wife then. No. Go ahead. We do it in the right order here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is so funny because I knew I was, you know, going 2,500 miles from home, and I'm single. I'll never get married. I knew I would never get married. And she walks down in the first chapel, and I go, <laughs> "What's she doing here?" And so we had a great courtship. I wrote a little book about that. In fact. Uh, because it was so fun. She was engaged to another uh, guy and who was in the military. <laughs> Controversial. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, the people at Westminster, there was a little small community. They were just, they, they didn't really like what was going on. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, but it was a blast. It was so fun. And God meant three, three little creatures to come along and now be three big creatures. Uh, Gabrielle is my oldest. As I mentioned, she's 30 and she's in labor. So, congratulations. We're it's a mind blower, um, you know, because it's yesterday. I can remember she was born. It's just like, as you get older, life, the fat passage of time gets trippier and trippier. It, it does seem does seem to be uh, speeding up. So yeah. I'm, well, you guys, are you guys in your thirties? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't really start. Forties is what. Oh, <laughs> not to be an old. Is that time warp? <laughs> I remember when I was in my thirties. This guy said five years, and he goes. It was some some conference. It goes to you to you guys. It seems like a long time. I said, "Well, five years is a long time." Now five years was like ten years. It's like nothing. <laughs> Just so uh, so, and then uh, uh, Adam is twenty six, and my youngest is uh, going to turn twenty one next week. So that's uh, so. I look at sure. God's providence the way I met and moved back there, and then. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. So I, I never, when I went to seminary, I just went basically uh, to ground myself in theology and history and philosophy and maybe go get a PhD. I was never the pastor type, um, you know, bad habits, that kind of thing. So uh, <laughs> so I just never saw, in fact, I, I um, one of the counselors there said, if you don't feel called to be a pastor, don't. It's hard enough if you do. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay. So I ended up working and uh, a job in, in Pennsylvania and then made my way into sales. And so today I sell technology for a small company out of Arizona, which I love, but it's very demanding. Hmm. Um, and, and so per the book, all my life, I, so the only reason I was, became a Christian is because I believed it was true. Right. You know, it's a good reason. I, I, had, yeah, <laughs> I had absolutely no interest if it wasn't. And so as I was introduced to Schaefer, you know, there are massive amounts of reasons why 
you know, I believe this. And none of them have to do with what Christianity can do for me. Mm. Uh, it's the fact that it's it's simply the truth about the nature of reality. So um, as my kids were growing up, I just, that's what I taught them. It was just kind of like natural. In fact, mm. I tell one story in the book, which was one of the great moments of my life. <clears throat> we're leaving church and I'm always lecturing about the sermon or whatever. And my, my eight, he was seven or eight at the time, not Dominic said, dad, you know, why are you always lecturing us? And I, I was taken aback. I was like, and Gabrielle chimes in. She goes, well, Dominic, daddy's always teaching. Hmm. Oh, I mean, really got chills. <laughs> but it is like, yes, that's what I did. And so, um, <laughs> and it's my, you, you, they appreciate it. You know, hmm. don't lecture your children. I mean, I lecture them all the time, but it's not, it's to teach them. I, I actually hmm. respect their intelligence if they're five or when they were or 10 or whatever, hmm. you know? And um, so in 2015, I read an article about a young lady who grew up in a Christian home. I mean, she was involved. She wasn't just like a one foot out the door teenager. Hmm. She goes off to the university of Virginia and boom, abandons her faith, becomes an agnostic. And and I was so ticked off. I'm going to write a blog post. And uh, and then I thought, you know, why don't I write a book about that, about how I did that with my kids? Because in my heart, I believe that that would never happen to my kids. What? It just wouldn't. They, they'd be, it'd be like them going from reality to non-reality. And um, now I've had pushback and people like, well, are you saying you can guarantee this? And you're in control hmm. of that. It's like, first of all, we can't guarantee anything and we control nothing. Hmm. You know? So, but we live in a cause and effect universe. You reap what you sow. And uh, so I've, I've just confident that, you know, I've done a good enough job. In fact, my daughter, I'm not a very um, good, um, what's the word? Intentional about spiritual things with my growing up, hmm. like praying with them and, uh, um, devotionals and those kinds of things. I wish I was better. And I sort of bummed about it because I, I would really like to have been better. And my daughter once said to me, I was kind of complaining about myself. And she goes, well, at least you taught us it's the truth. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because a lot of parents think if they just do the do, religious do the things, things yeah. that, you know, and as I argue in the book about talking about culture, it's just, you know, they're assaulted from moment one with a mm -hmm. other a whole other worldview. And if we don't if we don't uh, enable them to decipher and interrogate these worldviews. All bets are off, you know, even if we take them mm -hmm. to Sunday school and read the Bible to them and pray with them. And, you know, we got to mm. engage that. So you so it's basically a deconstruction article of. Someone going through. It wasn't called that then. It was, yeah. That's that's the uh, the new buzzword. Yes. That, that it is. And, exactly. and so, does your book come with a hundred percent guarantee if you, if it doesn't happen? Absolutely. <laughs> I should have put that on the cover. That would have been a big hit. Not not guaranteed to. Uh, to well, see, I'm, I'm. So the book isn't about parenting. So that's <clears throat> to clarify because I hate. 10 steps to this and 12 steps to that. And if you do that, you'll get that. And, mm. But yet people in sort of interpreted that way. And I think I specifically believe that was people who never read it. Right. And um, so it's really an apologetic books, 
book for parents. Cool. You know, because just teaching again, how do you teach your children that this is valid? This is true. It's credible. You can have confidence in it Mm. and, and so on. So it's, um, but it's the funnest, most greatest thing in the whole world to raise your kids to love Jesus and mm. seek Him. And it's, I think that's a really important starting point, though. Is is what you're, what you seem to be embodying is a, is a joy about the truth. You can mm. you can talk about um, truth and be extraordinarily dry, and it's this is what you have to do to it. it yeah, and following that logic, this is true. Therefore, you, you no, do. you that's a that's a really good point. I was talking to this gal yesterday. They, she actually, from we were, we lived in Illinois for 17 years before we moved down here four and a half years ago. And she started a podcast of testimonies and, and she knows my wife. And <clears throat> so I'm going to get to do that in a couple of months, which is really cool. Nice. Cause I haven't told my testimony in a long time. Cause it's a long time ago. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so her son was immersed in apologetics the same age as my son. And she said, he's sort of not walking with the Lord. And, you know, it's painful. Mm. Um, but you're, but, and I told this to her is that in what you just said is so spot on is because truth isn't a proposition. It's a person, mm. you know, and I say that in the book, you know, it's, it's, it's logic. It is truth. It is propositions, you know, proper. But when you understand that it is the truth, who he is, mm-hmm. and he is the thing that makes all truth real about, I was going to quote Lewis, but I can't remember, but <laughs> it's so uh, Lewis reading him is humbling. Cause he is, was a genius beyond genius, but um, that's a, yeah, I pr- appreciate you noticing that. Cause it's, it's powerful. Yeah. Uh, it's taught uh, more than taught in a way. Yeah. yeah even yeah, though yeah. I, even though I teach it obnoxiously much to ask my kids, it's caught because you can't help but just be yeah yeah yeah. you embody embody that truth yourself Mm -hmm. dan you look like you're about to uh to say something profound (laughs) no i was just just thinking i was listening no i was just uh yeah no i think um it's funny i was was chatting to someone about um someone was working with today about about parenting and parenting books and about um yeah, being being an authentic parent um, and, and what that means, and um, and I was, I was it's funny you said you don't like parenting. I don't like parenting books either, primarily because um, <clears throat> every child is different, and so you read a book by someone who has two or three children, but they're not your children, right. uh, and anyone with anyone with children knows with more than one child will know that you have the same genes made the same way and they end up uh yeah they're totally different you know, completely different and so right. you know what what works with one child is not necessarily effective in another so i think when i've got you know a totally spot on. One, potentially on a different continent telling me how to be a parent i i, I, I yeah I'm, I'm i'm always i'm skeptical of their uh their claims of expertise mm-hmm. uh, i'm sure there's some often wisdom to be to be gleaned but uh, uh if you think you're an expert at being a parent, just be one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For a little while. Ooh, I'm not very good at this. But but I but I agree. I think um, one thing we've we've always tried to do is is like you said, we we kind of framed it in the sense of, of catechesis, in the sense that if you don't catechize your children, 
someone, someone else, else someone else will and 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 like you said you know they're um you know an hour uh, you know at kids church on a sunday is is not is not necessarily going to be enough to counter even not what they're hearing, just just what they're absorbing culturally there's messages in, in the things they watch <coughs> in the movies they watch which are often innocuous but they do it they're always communicating a message and, they, and well they, let me let me can i share a good uh, example so I, I talk about the clicker in the book I, I believe in the chapter on culture and um you know the remote control and so all of their lives i still do it to this day even though my wife's the only one i get to lecture <laughs> and, and i and i stop in question and one of the things that i think a lot of people don't understand too is you can af question affirmatively but it's also what they leave out so i can't tell you how many shows and movies we watch and god is just doesn't exist mm -hmm. so it's not that they're saying anything against god it's just that he's irrelevant and uh whether they're dealing with death or you know anything it's um, the secularism is so not in your face and that's why it's so effective to shape well, worldview yeah well it, it's presumed you know we like exactly. Charles Taylor talks about how we live in you know we live in a dis disenchanted world like mm. you know since the since the enlightenment we can't you know before then not believing in god or that the universe you know there was theistic in some sense wasn't possible mm -hmm. Whereas now it, it it it's it's it seems as untenable the, the, to even conceive of the world um, uh, being theistic, uh, you know, in 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 in, in any. Well, what's in any interesting? What's interesting is that uh, in the book I talk about um, study that Christian Smith did, a sociologist mm. from yep. I think he was from uh, Notre Dame, <clears throat> and this was back in the early two thousand four five, but he found that in this longitudinal study over time that uh, the main faith of, of young people and really most Americans is uh, probably most Westerners, let's say, is moralistic therapeutic deism. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah. So uh, in this, it's, you know, it's moralistic. It's about being a good person. That's what religion is. Uh, <clears throat> therapeutic is what is good for me, makes mm -hmm. me happy. And deism, God is, you know, Nope, there's so there's like three really convinced philosophical atheists in the world. You know, most I, I, I exaggerate, but most <laughs> people, most people, it's just too obvious. This is not a, a matter of chance. There's a God, you know, but like uh, like N.T. Wright in his Gifford lectures in 2018, which I listened to not too long ago, is most people are Epicureans or ep however you pronounce it, Epicureans. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, sure, God's there, but he has no relevance to my life. And, yeah. And that's what you get from the culture. So the, the atheist haters, you know, in the olden days, the new atheists, the 10, 12, you know, Dawkins and those guys, they're just passe. I miss them. You had a lot of uh, fondness. I miss where it was even relevant to discuss, whereas now it's just not. No one even, no one really cares. It's really hard. At least, at least if you saw someone reading or people, it was, it was in the public consciousness that actually yeah. debating God was actually worth, worthy of your time. Uh, yeah, and, that's and a good effort. point. Whereas, whereas now it's, 
it's not. Uh, one thing I will say, stopping the TV, I'd, I'd never get away with doing that. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd wait. I'd, I'd have to wait till afterwards. But, but it's, it's, it's oh. stuff that's interesting. So like even um, if you if you look at really popular movies, so like Frozen, obviously with well, for sort of younger children. But you have um, is it Elsa? Who's the main character? She's saying she's she's like. If I got a feedback, I can hear myself. Yeah, it is. Can you? Yeah. Um, I'll let you. Um, is that is that better? Talk. Yeah. And I'll... You, you Phil, are you causing the? Phil. Um, <laughs> <Yeah, I'll... laughs> almost promoting nihilism in what she's saying when she says, she, you know, she, she says, you know, uh, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I mean, that that that's. And, and I was listening. I was like. I had to rewind it. I was like, "Is that what did she just say?" You know, and 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 um, I mean that that's absolutely moral nihilism. Uh, uh, you know, being spun as truth to children. And I, I, I'm not like, oh gosh, well they're all going to become nihilists now. But no, th those kinds of things, they're they're not. They're certainly not innocuous. You know, right. I'm not saying they're actively harmful. But they certainly, um, you know. Uh, you know, along with other messages that they're absorbing, I, I think are are not without you know concern. Like I'd rather they not say stuff like that because it's uh, it's clearly not true. Um, but then, to me, that gives me the opportunity to show tell my kids why it's not true. Yes, yeah, and that's well, and that's yeah. that's that's the good aspect, isn't it? Is it's a yeah. springboard. Then, well, that's to, why you know yeah. a lot of Christians for years. I mean, going back to you know early 19th uh, early 20th century of complaining about the culture you know and it's it's dangerous it's it's a threat and so on mm -hmm. and i call it in the book our children's best friend because everything can be used to affirm the faith that we embrace everything it's just not even a it's literally everything and uh it's a it's a it's a wonderful exercise when you begin to look at reality from that perspective as opposed to just letting i call it the cultural messaging you know as if there's a big marketing department <laughs> and um and it, it's it's communicating constantly everywhere all the time <clears throat> and if you don't teach them if you yourself you know that's why i told you phil the, the name is uh, how to build an enduring faith in you and your children i first called it your children but i realized you know what you said earlier if it isn't in me, how am I going to convey it to my children, right? Mm, so, so anyway, um, I think that's been one of the one of the in, enduring um, images, memories I have of. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever fully reflected on, but it kind of came out of what you, what you said of, of my parents um, was listening, me listening to Lincoln Park in front of them. Huh. And uh, that, was, that was about as rebellious a music I, I got to. But the <laughs> the lyrics, I just remember that there's a song that just has like a series of shut ups <laughs> in it. Uh, I won't try and sing it. But um, <laughs> it it wasn't that they were like, you can't listen to it. They didn't just go, that's this, this rude, obnoxious, turn it off. But it was, it was why, why are you listening to it? Like, what is it about that music? that you like and i was just like well it sounds good and it, I, quite, I quite like it but they're like well what, what about what are the lyrics telling you and so we just had a bit of a conversation and there's not too much to the to the lyrics other than 
it's, it's kind of angry and wants the person to stop talking quite a lot. <laughs> but, the, but the um but the idea there of critiquing lyrics, I now annoy my wife somewhat when when I when the radio's on, I'm like I can't listen to this. This is just the lyrics are terrible. So I haven't even heard the lyrics. <laughs> they're, they're just sort of background noise to many people. Right, right. But there is, but there is get through. You, find you, you still find yourself singing them. Mm-hmm. Um and when you really think through what those lyrics are really saying, um, there's, there's a massive challenge to any perspective. I think um, what it's saying, what it's saying about women, what it's saying about money, what it's saying about power, what it's saying about the police, <laughs> depending on oh, who you're yeah. um, and, and that's going to influence you to some degree, whether you want it to or not. If you're singing yeah. it, uh, or right. if you're allowing it to just sort of flood, flood in uncritically. Right. Exactly. And it's parental um, malfeasance if we do not raise our kids to interrogate culture. Hmm. It really is. I mean, it's so easy, really. But it, it just, it takes, <laughs> it takes, I guess, being intentional of, mm. you know, you realizing that this is my job. And like you were saying earlier, you know, well, I, I think I bring Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth in England to not believe in God in that culture was inconceivable, you know, just, mm. you know, and, uh, and it wasn't that many years ago where it was not conceivable in, in Western, you know, the, in the Western culture as well, but, uh, that's so, changed. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask some pushback now, which, are, which, are, uh, like Super. You, you never do that, Dan. No. So, this is new. <laughs> I think we, I'm not sure I agree with it's malfeasant to not critique culture that because I can imagine I can, I can think of I can think of parents who Christians who don't do that themselves, but are still amazing Christian mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm given to hyperbole and overstatement just to let you know. Oh, that's <laughs> no, I seriously am. No, that's I right. Mean, I am. I, I take things very literally, so I'm I'm not very good at this. No, but that's good. I need to I need to you know, I'm writing another book and and uh, was almost through with it, and then I had some feedback from a, another author guy, and it's just obnoxious how many times I make absolutistic statements. It's like, <laughs> oh, over and over, and I couldn't see it while I was writing it. So thank God he got it before we get it published because it, it's going to make it way better. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's because you, you always yeah. read with nuance because you, you read what you say with the assumed nuance that you have, but your reader doesn't read doesn't. it with, <laughs> with, with that with that um, right. with that nuance. So, but go ahead, keep keep your thought going. I love well, it. no, I, I'm saying I I can imagine like I said that there are things that are that are certainly valuable and and perhaps may improve parenting in terms of you know equipping your your children to you know both uh, retain the faith um uh, you know to be able to promote it themselves and be able to you know engage critically and with culture and things like that so i can certainly see those things as as having value but i still i think you can be a very good christian parent without doing those things still and, and i think there are there are things that are, are much more important uh, in terms of you know, your priorities uh, of, of parenting um like what well i i i, I well there's basics isn't there? i mean i i've 
it's funny we talk about writing a parenting book. I, I, I know you haven't written a parenting book. Yeah, but, no, <laughs> but, but on and on and off, I've been, I've been, um, you know, every couple of weeks, I, I do a few notes on, on something I've been working on. It's kind of a, I, I call it um, love them, feed them, read to them. Because I think there are there are three things, three core things about parenting is love your kids unconditionally, love them, uh, let them know it's okay to make mistakes, uh, it's it's okay to dis disagree, it you you love them irrespective whatever they do you will always love them and it's nothing nothing upsets me more than when I read these horrible things where Christian parents where you know one of the child you know has got pregnant or they've um they've um whatever some something and they kick them out you know because they disagree and i just think that is that's literally the opposite of, of what you should be doing as a christian who is a parent i mean it's it, 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 so those kind of things love them feed them yeah give, give them the basic thing you know make sure they've got everything they need it's a basic you know providing you're you're able to do that do that well uh, and, and read to them. I think reading, and, and within that, I would certainly expand much more. But I think you know, reading to your children. Hmm. You know, essentially, all the research suggests if you don't read to your children before the age of three, you're very much limiting their their their, their, their how they're flourishing, their future flourishing. If you don't read to your children, um, and, and within that, I'd always you know, spiritual nourishment. You know, reading the Bible. You know, those kinds of things. But I think there are. Um, uh, attending church you know the the role that dads have as well you know i'm sure you've looked into that the the you know kind of women may not like this but you know and, and mothers as well unfortunately but you look at the data for for children who retain their faith and one of the main indicators is does the father does a dad attend church does the dad have an active faith that's one of the main predictors of their children retaining their faith um so that so that's 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 just their merely being there it doesn't right. mean they're critiquing culture teaching them apologetics they're their mere presence right. praying reading the bible right um, loving them you know th those kinds of things um interesting yeah and 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 you know i grew up a catholic and learned none this this my my parents don't get any credit for this <laughs> so mm. to speak <laughs> you know so right i mean but you know, there is something about uh, educating um, Christian parents that th these things are going to have an influence. Absolutely. You know, and I, everyone knows that, but, but how, you know, mm -hmm. and there are certain ways to deal with that. You know, don't listen to that music and you can't watch that, and, you know, and so hopefully I could teach my kids um, to be nuanced in how they're interpreting culture and, and mm -hmm. interacting with and it's just like my son just he's uh, down at FIU Florida International University and he calls me and he tells me you know the professor says this it's such a, you know he's laughing at it and and critiquing it or he sees good stuff you know and he always sees the bigger picture you know and mm -hmm. it isn't just so um but yeah that's why there's no one way anything you know mm -hmm. and that's why that's this this is not that book what what in terms of like questions i always find that children have the most amazing questions like really good ones so i remember my son was three he just said that um he was like where is god like if god isn't isn't god's invisible where is he you know or 
or just it just comes out of really really, really good thing. like yesterday a couple of days ago he asked me he said he said where is jesus if Jesus is God, Jesus is God, yeah, Dad. Yes, yeah, he's God. Where is he? Where is he right now? <laughs> he's Good question. Head. He's like he's saying, well, if he's God and he's a human being, and I can, you know, human, where, where is he? Uh, I always find they have that they're 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 great questions, and that's something I think you you agree with is you know encouraging children to ask questions, especially Absolutely. about those kinds, of, and and trying to give them good answers as well. And sometimes I have to think, I'm like. And it's the thing that's most challenging is obviously it's not necessarily answering the question, but it's answering the question in a way that they will actually understand and get get some value from. Because mm. you know that's very the difficult. three year old mind, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult because trying to package it in a very right. simple way. I, I often ask, uh, I try and ask more questions so that I say, well, you know, when you say, oh, God's invisible, okay, I was like, well, can you think of? Uh, I said, can can, I, can you think of anything? that exists that's invisible uh and i got i sort of prompted them so we talked we started talking about well the fact that everything is made out of things that matter that we can't necessarily see we talk about atoms and things like that and i said yeah they are they are, they are a physical substance yet we can't see them um i said them i used things about the wind and i said well we can't see the wind but it, it affects you know if it, it, it you know it affects everything all around us exactly. so we, I, I tried to encourage us like, oh, okay so then they started seeing well okay there is you know there are things that we accept that it you know exist that right. we can't necessarily see and, and that brings up a great point because one of the chapters um well the first chapter i was going to write was because this gal's story mentioned nothing about truth she didn't say i don't believe it's true anymore and therefore i'm going to go over here she just so, um, and that, that hits on plausibility, which I'd love to talk about, and mm -hmm. epistemology. And, um, you know, because I believe most people leave the faith not because they're talked out of it or they look at the evidence and they study and they say, well, you know, it just doesn't appear true to me anymore because I've looked at all this evidence. The resurrection, meh. So, but I believe it's because Christianity no longer seems real and this other worldview does. So, and they believe, because this is part of the whole lie of secularism, is that I want to write a book called There's No Such Thing as Unbelief. Because we always refer to Christians as believers and non-Christians as unbelievers. Well, everyone believes. Everyone lives by faith. Right? And so yeah. you're going from one faith to another. So I've said, you know, if my son went off to college and came back and said he didn't believe in God anymore or is an agnostic, I would say, okay, prove it. Justify this to me. Why do you believe that? What is the evidence? Let's let's logic through this. So I'd force him to justify his belief because it's another belief, another worldview. And uh, and and so so when it comes to truth, the idea of I don't know if we hear this as much nowadays, but when I was in college, you know, the true for you, I'm glad that's true for you, but it's not true for me. You know, <clears throat> it was like, bit. what if, you know, I was always thought, well, how can something be true for you and not true? <laughs> Didn't make any sense, but people buy that, yeah. you know, and that's part of the whole culture thing. Is it, you know, through education and just like I thought I was a chance happening when I thought, you know, I might not exist because evolution and, and Darwinian, even though it might not be taught specifically that you're a product of chance, 
my, my son just brought home a, a well a book on because he's a musician and on vocalism and the first sentence is according to darwinian science the voice is a product of chance now it doesn't normally <laughs> always say it that blatantly but uh <laughs> but can you you know because i was thinking of when you were talking dan about um can you see god see most westerners are programmed or indoctrinated to to see knowledge is you know it's only empirical knowledge that counts mm -hmm. you can't know it if you can't see it and a simple question that you ask your son is like there's a lot of stuff you can't see you can't test and so on and so forth and then, mm. so well, one thing i'd be interested is so let's say uh, uh, most most parents i know because most christians i know don't uh have no interest in apologetics or um necessary to, to uh deep there's a level in which they're just not interested in in, in right. going it's I, I don't mean it in a demeaning way but it's functional uh communal it, 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 it it's accepted we don't need there are questions that just no don't necessarily are not interested in exploring which is which is you know it's fine don't have to i prefer it if more people did yeah. <laughs> but um so how would you persuade a parent who themselves doesn't do those things to then see the value in doing this for their own child. Cause that's, that's, that's the thing I would struggle with because I can't even get the sick Christians who are not parents. But for me, the case seems much stronger for you as a parent, you know, given that we, we are responsible for discipling our own children. Right. <laughs> you know, that we're, we're responsible for teaching and leading and, and guiding them to, um, you know, so yeah, so I'd be interested in how, how you might go about doing it, or if you had experience sort of, um, you know, with, with parents. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, you're, what you said is so true is that cert, certain people have inclinations for this and others don't. Um, others are just more, you know, I'm just by nature more intellectually curious than others. And I remember Tim Keller saying once in a talk, he said, you know, I just have a great memory. I could pick any book off the shelf from whenever, and I know exactly where, and it helps when you're writing books, you know, to do that kind of lecture. And uh, so like, I didn't create my own memory, you know? So some people just have that, and I don't know, because I have some relatives who they're Christians and they have now adult children, and, and they're all Christians. But, the, you know, I, I don't really think they, intentionally catechize them and we've we have discussions as a family about that and so on and mm. um and it's like well they did this because their parents haven't taught them that that's whatever xyz and that's just me being critical but mm. you know so i don't know that's a i i i think um i blame blames the wrong word i believe that pastors should preach differently in our secular age and that's where Keller, to me, is just a great example because, you know, on the, I haven't been there in a while, but it used to say skeptics welcome. And he always knew he was preaching because he was in New York City, preaching to non-Christians as well as Christians. So you have to justify that this, what we're talking about here is true, <laughs> you know. So he's constantly, uh, in the sense of apologetics preaching. And if that was done more from the pulpit, I believe more parents sitting in the pews, more lay people would say, that's important. So it's really a leadership problem. It's like with, I'm telling you about my relatives, it's kind of awkward for me to go in there. It's just not my place, you know, 
and mm. I love them and the kids are fine and they're still following Jesus, but yeah. It's really, really interesting. I think because you do raise an interesting point that, that culture is an important part and, and critiquing it is, is vital as a, as a parent and teaching your kids to do that well. But I've, I found there's, there's more people digging into these things and searching for answers. Like when, when their kid asks a question, a lot of people just go into Google and, oh, that looks about right. Here right. you go. Right. Um, so I think people are looking for these answers and questions. I think, but there, there's a gap. And I think it's where, where people like Keller do fill that gap well, mm-hmm. where you go online and you look at apologetics and it's like uh, kind of what our last video was about, philosophical arguments for God. Uh, here's the Kalam, here's the moral argument, here's some um, quite technical philosophical language. And for people who are Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of folks into that, right? I, I, that's, that's, I, I, don't, I don't get that. Uh, so well, trying yeah, to find me, a middle ground. I, I think I have one. There. I think yeah. I have one because, <clears throat> um, well, that might be presumptuous. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> So it's so simple. I think I think the tip of the spear of Satan's battle against God and his people is creation. Before I read the Bible through, I don't know, this is like 2010, and I just I hadn't read it through in years, so I read it through, and it was struck me how how um, <clears throat> how often God as creator is like an important thing in redemptive mm. history. Like, mm-hmm. duh. But you know, it starts at in the beginning, God created, right? And, and there's this constant battle with, with idols who are literally nothing. And, and it's constant. I mean, one of the, my favorite, I always say that, but what, wonderful passages <laughs> in Jonah when he's in the belly, he's in the, not in the belly of the whale or ship, fish. He's in the bottom of the, uh, the boat and he's ticked off. <laughs> and he's like, <clears throat> and they ask, who are you? And he's like, I worship the God of Israel, who's the creator of the sea and the land, you know, <laughs> but I thought even there, that's the thing, you know? Hmm. So <clears throat> what happened, I love the history of philosophy and ideas. And, and, and when you look at the enlightenment, the devil did such a great job of, <clears throat> you know, building a worldview where God was no longer necessary. And, hmm. I mean, it's really powerful stuff, but, 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 you know, basically when you have uh, Sir Isaac Newton, his physics led to a worldview that was mechanistic. And then, then you go from there to, to Kant and Hegel and so on. And you get Marx and Darwin and Freud, Nietzsche, and all of these just in West, in the whole of Western culture went from God is an unproblematic, absolute thing about reality to it probably not, you know, mm-hmm. and and the idea is um, what was my point? See, I knew I was going to do that. It was a good one. <laughs> that was good. Uh, uh, it was ap- really apologetics good. In, apologetics and yes. highbrow arguments. Right. Okay. So I knew I was going. Thank you. So, uh, so to me, the idea of God as creator is the thing. Because you understand, if He is the creator then everything else is like pales in comparison. So how do you teach that to your kids? Just keep saying God's the creator. So I use something in the book from, uh, it's basically a design argument. So I, I would say to them, uh, 
you see that pot? There are very intelligent people who believe that pot is made, designed, and, and put together by human. But the plant is a product of chance. Does that seem kind of weird to you? You know, so that's to me programming them, right? And 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 or I take an orange. I have one of my favorite phrases. When they were younger, now that they're adults, it's less so. But uh, praise chance. And I said, look at this. I, I think I go through this in the book. Look at this thing. This it's orange, right? It grew out of the ground, dirt. How does that happen? And then not only that, but when you, you look at it, it's beautiful and it smells. You have senses that you can smell and it smells wonderful. And, and not only that, when you eat it, it actually nourishes your body because you need vitamin C. And, and you know, after I'm going through this and I just say, praise chance, you know, because that's it. It's either God is the creator of all things or it's chance. You really don't have much in between. Interesting. Look. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that works all the time. We were at the, uh, uh, the, the Mount Rushmore in uh, South Dakota here in America, 2007, I think it was, or six. And uh, we're sitting there in the evening and you have the four presidents up there. And I said, you know, and I always get eye rolls when I do this, but I keep doing it uh, <laughs> even today. Uh, I said, can you imagine after millions of years, there are these faces of, of four people on a mountain just, just <laughs> happen, you know, wind and weather and all that. And then, you know, what's even more remarkable is they look like specific people and they look like ex-presidents of the United States that I would just go, isn't the chance grand, you know? And they're like, ah. So you see what I'm saying? So that inference is you begin to build that. Or my son, I used to play golf. Thank God he rescued me from that. But <laughs> we'll be outside hitting balls and look at the, 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 the um, beautiful sunset. And I'll just go, praise chance. You know, and that just became a thing with the family. It's like, it's impossible. So how are they going to then go to university, right? And, and listen to some Darwinian guy talk about, you know, it's like, well, how, well, what did evolution, evolution did this and evolution did that. How can evolution do anything, you know? So anyway, that's, it's really quite simple. So to me, you don't have to be into the Kalam and, you know, I can't even, I don't even know what the, I mean, I know what it is, but to, to actually say it, I always get hung up cause and this and that. So that's just one example of how you mm. can put that anybody. You, you, you could be a, not even graduate from high school. That's pretty simple. This was created. That tree was not. Hi there, this is Phil Dunkarf. Thank you so much for listening to the Critical Witness podcast. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe, share the episode and write a review. It will help others find us. And if you really like what you hear and want us to grow, please do consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash critical witness. Enjoy the rest of the show. I was, I was gonna say, I think that's why I, I, I like a lot of the different like catechisms and stuff, like where it talks about, you know, just very simple things like God created everything and everyone. Um, yeah, those those kinds of, you know, I think 
getting children to understand that message everything you everything you see and everything you can't see is 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 made uh made by by god and what's interesting Um, is that you have to be educated out of that in other words i think naturally people children of course know god and you know yeah yeah. right we're made in his image we can't escape it Mm. so but you truly have to be educated to to such a degree that you could actually believe that the whole universe and everything in it, the human cell, I can go on and on, is a product of chance. Yeah. Random I mean, mutation. Really, I think it's really interesting. Maybe a slight nuance on that. I think there's an element of what that can sound like is a real uh, fight with evolution to the extent that you have to unpick the groundings of a lot of modern science where I know many Christians who are into evolutionary science to the extent mm-hmm. that um, it's, it, it's explanatory power of how things are working is actually quite evident to them. But what they wouldn't disagree with is that God is creator. And actually that explains why we see design in things, not chance. And so I, th- I think where some parents and, and some of my more young earth friends seem to get caught on is a battle against evolution where there might not need to be as much of an evolution. Like I, I think you said it in, in the sense of what evolution can't do anything in a sense. Evolution isn't a thing. It's not an agent. It's not a um, create. It's not the creator. It, and and I was talk, talking to my wife earlier. She was saying um, something about uh, she'd been part of a seminar where the explanation was back when we were hunters and gatherers. Th- this is why we do it. And I'm going. Well, how, how do we? How do they know that? Like, where's <laughs> where's where's the, that? That sounds like that might be true, but it also sounds like a bit of a narrative. And are we allowed to wrestle with that? And so the materialists will say will say. That we use the God of the gaps argument and they use that in evolution all the time. And, mm-hmm. and I, I totally agree with you. I'm not going to debate the mechanisms of how God created the world. I mean, it's just not, it's beyond our understanding anyway. Right. I mean, if you could understand it, then you, you would be God, which is kind of what people want, you know, sinful heart wants to be right. We'll figure out everything, but, yeah, you can get off on the tangents. It's irrelevant. <laughs> I don't know how God did it. I mean, he could have created a, a, a universe that looks old. I don't know. I just, I just don't think it's important. The, the, the design thing is interesting as well, because even when you, you look at evolutionary biologists, they'll talk about the appearance of design. So it's oh, not yeah. like there's not like there's discussion about design. It, Dawkins says it himself. It's, you know, certainly it looks, it's, but we know it's not. Apparent design, you know, apparent you know, guidance in that process. So. And it also depends how you define evolution. So I've heard Christians, and, and, and it, it's a little sloppy sometimes, but if we define evolution as random mutation driven by natural selection, then, to, you know, random is a problematic word because if God is, nothing's random, hmm. you know. So it, is it the appearance of randomity? <laughs> or, you know, if God did use you know, evolutionary processes. I mean, clearly microevolution exists, and, but. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's. Have you, heard, 
No, come on. You go. I was going to say, have you sort of not changing this? James Tour. He, he he's a scientist. Have you heard of him? Is he the one? Yeah, I have. I have heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. By uh, abiogenesis of where did life come from? And he started his own podcast, and it's 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 brilliant guy, and he's great. He starts everyone. Yeah. I love Jesus, and believe that something like that, and in the. And it's the physical bodily resurrection of the dead. And he always asks the people on the show, why do you believe Jesus rose physically bodily from the grave? And, uh, <laughs> but that's beside the point. But he says, you know, we, we could debate evolution and all that, but where did life come from? And no one knows. I mean, it's not even, it's like, well, we don't really want to talk about that. Cause that's, <laughs> there's, there's nothing. And this guy's a biochemist. I mean, he's a genius, but so to me, that's the more important issue. Where did life come from? And we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because non-life, non-life cannot create life. Yeah, and I think it's putting that emphasis on on creator. I think is important and yeah. finding those battles. And I think this is something that is quite I'm quite passionate about in the in the work that I do in engaging students who are. Have, uh, coming from different countries where they've never once come into contact with the gospel mm. and what they what they know of christians is they're slightly odd <laughs> if they know anything at all and uh and there's this element of anti-science somewhere in there and so i'm unpicking the things that are not um the, the the foundation points not the the sort of closed hand issues from from these sort of open things so we don't need to battle with evolution because we have a creator and a designer that's very clear from from scripture we we can go into days age later <laughs> let's yeah. let's look at let's look at creator and look at what it says to be human and look at its relevance to to life and the overall story of what it what it's saying in God has interacted with humanity it is a, is a personal God, yet a transcendent God um, that contradicts much of other religions. What, what do you make of that? And, and continuing to ask questions of um, what do you read as important out of this passage? And let's let's interact with what you've you've brought to the text as well as, as your culture. And let me show you why that's not necessary. That, that might be so that might not be so, mm -hmm. but the script, the scriptures are silent on evolution, but they aren't silent on creator of everything. I, I think that age is potentially, I, I think there's, there's an open handed question age. And I don't know, there's Christians that would probably fight me on that, but the, the openness to allow, them to engage with the scriptures with whatever scientific framework they've grown up in without having to unpick everything that they know and sort of and dump on it as well and be so attacking on on that um, right we we focus on the main things and allow that then to challenge any frameworks that might be poorly conceived and, and so i think that kind of thing i'd probably bring into the sort of parenting question of of continually asking questions of of why you think that or where that's come from 
is quite powerful in terms of how we it's powerful in how we evangelize i think that's also quite powerful in how we uh disciple and there's that sort of overlap with the two anyway one of my um, books that i'm going to share with you guys is, is exactly that about that point questions i don't know yeah, where but... i was going with that or a question so dan go for it <laughs> no i was gonna say i uh, just just briefly i wasn't before i asked question uh, again i was just gonna say uh, it's almost a little bit uh, old in the sense so that the, the, those sorts of discussions a little bit now. I think most people, young people and, and children, especially, are much more interested now in, you know, identity, meaning, and purpose. You know, what does Christianity mm -hmm. say? You know, how does it compete with the alternative worldviews about meaning, uh, about purpose in my life, and 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 who I am? And I think they they seem to be the most sort of. Yeah, and Keller's what, so great on that. Have you read and, 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 the most recent book, um, Mike? The no. Making Sense of God. Oh, whether well, it's not yes, that. Yes. Yes. I thought I thought it was great. It's really frustrating because that was a like reason for God is it is a good book, but it is very much it's aged. It's dated. It's actually dated really quickly. It's quite scary. I think that came mm -hmm. up in what two thousand and nine. I think yeah, uh, yeah seven. Two thousand eight. Yeah, probably two thousand eight. Two thousand nine. That's seriously dated. Making mm -hmm. sense of God is just such a good book for today. Like it's it's such a good book. It doesn't seem to be that popular. I find it. Yeah. What's interesting is that the paradigm. Mm -hmm has shifted. So I am, um, for this, this other book I want to read, I, this this guy is incredible. His name's George Marsden. He's a, a historian. And uh, he wrote A Fundamentalism in American Culture, uh, which was tremendous. And this book is called The Soul of the American University, From Protestant Establishment to Established Non-Belief. And, and so where he is now, is the 19th century, the mid to late 19th century. And the reason I bring this up is because there's a gentleman here, his last name was White, I forget his, his name. He wrote a book about the war of science and religion. Mm -hmm. and, and that model didn't really exist prior to that because all scientists were Christians. <laughs> the Christian worldview gave rise to science, right? And uh, so, so, and you saying that right now really can a sort of, convinces me that that war of science against religion um is pretty much almost not but over you know people are sort of getting like we're not arguing about evolution anymore or whatever right i mean some people are but but it's really about those issues that you were talking about dan that that that's what's important to people now mm -hmm. because you know i really believe god's so obvious well my one of my Every verse in the Bible is my, seems to be my favorite verse. Romans one twenty. you know, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen mm. from what has been made so that they, people, are without excuse. And uh, every morning I see him when I pray, I, it seems every time I pray, I just thank God for revealing himself in creation, in scripture, and in Christ. Because we would be, you look at the history of philosophy, it's trying to figure it out. I love one of my favorite uh, metaphor analogies, whatever it is, similar, is puzzles and puzzle pieces. So the history of philosophy is just people studying puzzle pieces, trying to figure out what the heck it all means. You know, and there's no big picture, so they can't, you know, it's just like, this isn't fitting. In the book, I say that, you know, for most, 
most of them, life is a, a Woody Allen movie. You know, because it's just there's no there's no there there. It's trying to get the things you're talking about, Dan, fulfillment and significance and hope and meaning. And then at the end of every Woody Allen movie, it's just uh, resignation. Because it doesn't exist in his universe. How do you get hope and purpose and meaning from chance? <laughs> I mean, where does that hmm, really? That's why the Christian <laughs> worldview to me, to young people especially, is so powerful and persuasive. And uh, because those exact things you said they're looking for, it's the only place. It's hard as well. It's interesting. I mean, what what role do you think? Because um, I think children. I, th I know psychologists will talk about. Um, you know, as as children start approaching those sort of teenage years, the views and values of of, of their parents become much less important than their peers, their friends, uh, oh, yeah. people around. Um, you know, far more often than than, than you. Um, and that that I think that that I've, I've got friends in Florida. I know you said you're from Florida. I've got um, you've got friends, um, Port St. Lucie, um, and uh, we've been there a few times. And it's really it always. I found it really interesting about how Christian the culture was, like explicitly Christian. You know, I you know put the radio on, be Christian radio, churches everywhere. Mm -hmm. it, it was it was much more infused in the in in in, in the culture. Whereas I'm not sure if you've been to England, but that that's very not you know very not much the, the case here. And so you know my my daughters, you know my daughter or my son's friends are much more likely to very like unlikely to be christians or, or or to you know most are going to be brought up by parents secular you know uh, and themselves might not be explicitly anti-christian but certainly may not know much about it or, or just simply assume that it's assume that it's kind of nonsense really that's what that's how much that's how we're catechized in england is you sort of assume mm. it's irrelevant and you're apathetic or you actively dislike dislike, dislike it is is that there are main options on the table um what 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 role do you think you know did your you know, your kids um you know more friends that were christians you know what role do you think that that plays and how how would you recommend sort of parents i guess um the role of apologetics and things in that well it's interesting because um <clears throat> the sociol the sociology of children and as they get older and what they end up believing it's overwhelming that parents have the biggest influence. Mm. So I think the tendency is to think that because in this, you know, maybe this was before Trump uh, who took the oxygen out of everything, but there was a lot more talk about Christians, young Christians leaving the faith in 2015 when I started writing at 16, 17, you know, and, um, and you, I, it's just, it's just not as much out there anymore, but, um, Parents have the in biggest influence. I mean, the Bible says that clearly. Um, and, you know, you hope your kids pick the right friends and, and so on. Um, but I always have used my children's friends, you know, you know when they were growing up, as a, a means to engage them in conversation about them, the friends. What do mm -hmm. they believe? Do they go to church? Not to say you shouldn't hang with them, but let's analyze them. Let's see what their worldview is all about. And uh, it's interesting because, again, that's you're teaching your children 
to not accept. I, you know, I talk about the messaging of culture, but anything, their friends, what their friends do, and and getting them to engage and to think about it, because you know, who you hang is going to become maybe who you are, who you become, and so. It's almost like apologetics is just the undercurrent of everything I think I did. Because I would never sat down and said, let's study this. You know, if you really want to know this, you know, I mean, I'm obnoxious to my kids about telling them they need to read more. Um, (laughs) Buying them books every Christmas. And um, you read it yet? You read it yet? And, uh, but, so I don't know if that answers your question. But again, I, I think that there's this, engagement that you teach your children to think critically about everything they do in life no no no, i agree i think we like you said we we do um i i I always err to pessimism so um whereas so it's good to be reminded you know that yeah we do have a big influence on what our, what our, our, our children go on to, to believe. I think you're right in terms, I think we were getting at sort of like mirroring that behavior. I think any anything valuable that you want to communicate to your, to your children, you have to mirror to them, you have to be living it, mm-hmm. you know, yourself mm. for them to, to, to reflect it um, themselves. What's a, that's, a, that's a great point to bring up because, you know, you're, you're, you're taught or within the Christian whatever, you to be a good example for your kids. You know, in a lot of ways, I'm a terrible example. I mean, I'm just I'm just so human and flawed. And um, and I, I say somewhere in the book that I I think that gives my kids hope. Because, you know, at the center of our religion is a cross, right, that that God died for us because we're imperfect. So to, to have to be an example and usually it comes down to Christianity becoming moralism. You know, mm-hmm. Christianity is about being a, a nice person, and, you know, being mm-hmm. a good person and being morally upright. And, you know, I have nothing against being morally upright. <laughs> you know, it's a be, good thing to do. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm all for keep failing. moral uprightness. <laughs> no, I, I think what you said is, um, I think that's really important. I think it's really important for children to know that you're fundamentally flawed. Oh. <laughs> because because what, what children don't like, they, they're the best. They hate hip, hypocrisy. I mean, if I do it, my, 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 I'll say something and then, and then, um, or I'll, I'll do something and then, uh, or my son will do something and, I'll, and I'll, he'll see me doing it. He said, Dad, you said we couldn't do that. You're right. <laughs> uh, you're right, son. Well, I, I pull I, rank and I'm a dad. I can do whatever I, heck I want. Yeah, that, yeah, see, that's, that's the worst thing I was, I was thought in fact, you know, oh yeah, just do what I say, not what I do. That's, that, that's, mm. that's, that's terrible. So, um, yeah. that's terrible. So I, I admit, like, I, I, I apologize. You're right, son. I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm sorry I did that. Or well, one of the most powerful things as your kids are growing up and getting older <laughs> is when you just, you know, you're a jerk. Uh, me, I'm speaking of me, not you guys, of course. No, no, I haven't. And then just to say, I'm really sorry. I was wrong. I mm. suck. Mm-hmm. embrace yeah. the suck sort of yeah. vulgar sorry but you know embrace <laughs> that you're not perfect i have and and keller said that once uh in some i love the way he put it is we're the we as christians should be the least pretentious pretenders of any people on earth because we know we are rotten to the core mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I just know that. I, there's not, you, you can call me out on anything and I'll say, you know, by golly, you're right. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, maybe not, but I think, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I think the problem is a lot of Christians still think they're good. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> and, that, that hypocrisy. Um, and, and that's why. Well, that's again, that's when Christianity gets confused with moralism. And a lot of churches preach. We went to a church for a number of years in another state. uh, And it just was so often like, you know, it's it's, you're almost like the goal of Christianity is to do X, Y, and Z and to Mm -hmm. be this, this, and this. And again, those aren't unimportant, but what Christianity is you as a sinner being reconciled to holy God, everything else is gravy, mm-hmm. right? So everything flows. Like the last time I, I'm, I'm been writing through the Bible for a while on this, whatever, and reading through the, the letters of the new Testament, I'm just struck by the, the ethic of love that is just permeates everything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're compelled to love. And if we know what the cross is about and the gospel is about, loving is a lot, even though it's hard, is easier, you know, because you're not, it's not all about you anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, that kind of stuff really communicates to your kids too, that, you know, your imperfections, because just be you, you know, mm-hmm. God will use that. The humility aspect of of everything we, we should be doing, uh, I think the the speed at which defensiveness comes in to the to, um, to the Christian life uh, and and how we navigate that in in as parents I think, but also as as teachers preachers, um, if we are quick to be defensive about who we are and what we do. We, we lose the, the fruit of the spirit aspect. We immediately are no longer gentle. We're no longer kind. We're no longer... Uh, well, defensiveness is the opposite of what we should be. Right? Yeah. And, and you yeah, it's, it's that... Uh, what you said, I, I, you should be able to come to me and say, look, you've done this wrong. <laughs> and my first instinct should be, probably... <laughs> <laughs> probably have okay let's let's look at it let me let's take responsibility for okay the the bit that i have done wrong may not be as as huge as what you you think it might be but even so we could talk about that right um uh, first and foremost yeah uh sin (laughs) permeates everything we do Mm. and and we we got to acknowledge that and and so it's like people said like like uh, so i grew up it's sort of this was early Christianity sort of fundamentalistic or whatever. And, you know, you always should check your motives. I mean, mm. really? I mean, I don't know if I've ever had a pure motive in my entire life. Not one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I just We're trying to find that moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found out when I wrote this book and the writing that I, you know, I, I, I envy like is a sin because you know, I look at all the famous apologists out there and, you know, and I'm just this guy sitting in a room trying to get some on somebody on a podcast to talk to me, you know, you've made it. Not, not the, exactly <laughs> critical witness, baby. And, uh, and I'm jealous, you know, I mean, I literally am. And I just, I don't like him because he, he's famous, whatever, you know, that's just the human heart. Uh, Calvin called it an idol factory. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and being a Calvinist, uh, loud and proud, um, it, you know, you know, evil is just all permeating in our being and, and, and the beauty of the Christian faith. And I just told this to my niece uh, the other day, uh, they were having some issues or whatever. And, um, and I said, you know, too often we think sanctification is our job that we have to love, that we have to do this and we have to this. And, you know, yeah, we have to do those things, but the transformation of your heart to enable you to do them in love is God's business. There's no pressure, you know, and that's, you know, if, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. It's his job to do the mm -hmm. purifying, right? It's just, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm good now, right? So it, I love that. because yeah. And when you teach your kids that Christianity, it takes all the pressure off. You know, it's no longer religion. It's literally a relationship with a holy God who loved you in spite of you. You were his enemy. He died for you. You know, it's just... That's what makes Christianity so powerful and all the things that Dan was saying about what people are really looking for today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's where we can go in confidence and I don't know, not have to get in debates about how old the earth is or whatever, <laughs> yeah, you know? No. Yeah. We need to, kids need answers to those questions. You don't want to dodge them, but yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. There is, there's such a powerful lesson. I think, um, so Chris commented on, on our live chat, acknowledgement of wrongdoing supports healing and teaching for of others uh, there is a lot to be said for how how we how we operate how we live how we act and i, I said it right at the beginning and i think i think kind of repeating that is is important that you can speak truth teach truth yeah. but if you don't live it it's just it's dead and i mean that's james isn't it right. <laughs> that works, it's dead. We, well one of my favorite i said i'm not going to say that again <laughs> you keep saying it that other favorite verse that you <laughs> you're on your 4893rd favorite verse dude we gotta call it right but but one that's been very meaningful to me is first corinthians 8 2 paul says uh the man who knows something does not yet know as he ought to know and that isn't a call for skepticism but it's a call for what i call epistemological humility Meaning I can only know so much. And so I never think it's almost Paul is like Socratic in, in that way. It's just always mm -hmm. asking questions, you know, and uh, Socrates, I don't know anything. Right. And um, but the beauty of that is. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. I know more than I don't know than I do. And I'm very comfortable with my ignorance. You know, so when your kids come to you, ask you something like, I don't know. I have no idea. We'll find an answer, of course, or whatever, if there is one. Mm -hmm. you know, to not know. See, then in, in, in the living, so there's some probably, maybe people who are more intellectually minded, apologists, who, who, who make their knowing uh, an idol. You know, they just, you become so like, I need or want to know this. And again, those aren't bad things, but it's sort of irrelevant because, you know, everything is love. And I love when I learned about Reformed theology, I was 24, and the guy told me a phrase I'd never heard. He says, love is efficacious. It's effective. It actually creates a result in the one loved. And specifically, he was talking about the cross and Jesus dying for me personally. And it, 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 it love, even as we do it imperfectly, will have its effect. 
person can't help but responding. It's so beautiful. That's why when you begin to take the Christian, the onions off the, the Christian religion and the theology and the cross and the gospel and the Holy Spirit, it's just, it's just too heavy. It's just too heavy. And that's what you're I'm teaching your kids. And they want it. It's when they want what you got. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, that is it. That's the power of the gospel. That we're, we're, we are affect, affected, not affected by, mm-hmm. by the gospel because he first loved us. And I think that's that, that power that moves us. And I think that there's, that can be an element of our gospel that is downplayed or, or secondary when we we look at ephesians 2 for example you've got yeah he he's the one that bulldozed the hostility between us and god but it's also the reconciliation between us and others and that that new humanity aspect of of love and humility and uh new creation right new creation it's it's got it's got to be how we live but the moment you start putting duty on that and moralism on that it gets it, ru- <laughs> it ruins everything. It, it really everything. does. Because the, the the when Jesus could say, I mean, think about it. The whole of the Old Testament, all the prophets and the law and everything, is boiled down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, hmm. and and that you know we have to love vertically in that relationship. Once that once that relationship is healed, then we can love ourselves. We can have a proper assessment of ourselves. And then we can love others because we, you know, you kind of get it after a while, <clears throat> especially as you get older, because one of Keller's favorite words is crush. <laughs> you know, this God's going to crush you, whatever. And that's, you know, God will humble you. And it's so beautiful because out of that crushing of showing you who you really are, and it's pretty ugly, you are then able to love others in their ugliness or whatever, you know, oh. and that is so attractive to kids to your, to growing up and seeing that realness. It's like, something I, like I like you said, it, it gives them hope <laughs> that, that we, and yeah, I, I think, I think there's a element of uh, Christianity. Definitely that they don't emphasize the, the perfect speaker, the perfect uh, sounds, the perfect look, the, the the best community um it, it's so easy to to make an idol out of anything <laughs> that we yeah yeah we we then yeah showing our kids that actually there there is something about the broken the messy the hurting the lonely that becomes very beautiful through the eyes of the gospel and um, god can more. literally transform it i mean yeah he makes that which was ugly he makes it beautiful and only he could do i mean only god can create the human cell i mean there's trillions of them in our body and the complexity is insane and everyone knows that now nobody knows that yeah it just happened you know darwin's time it was a blob you know it's like oh sure those can kind of come together and create this but so i always think you know if he could create that or that little being in my my daughter's tummy and and when she came out 30 years ago in a month <laughs> the first thing I said was, there's a God. Through all the tears, you'd have to go, oh. <laughs> because how can you look at that? Hmm. And there not be a God that makes no sense, you know? And uh, 
So, but, but in fact, there's one uh, brief thing I say in the book about a kid who was going to church and he just was tired of the hypocrisy and the judgmentalism. And, and I don't believe that's really common throughout the church because, you know, the culture, Christians are what? Bigots and homophobes and narrow-minded and judgmental, right? That's, that's our MO. And um, some people will say, well, I, I, I left the faith because Christians are that way which is not intelligent. Is it true or not? But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's there and it can be subtle too. And then when it turns into that, Christianity becomes a burden, the opposite of hope, you know, you were saying. Yeah. And when it doesn't, when it's real, it's the, the gospel, you know, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know? mm-hmm. And their friends just don't, I think friends of my daughters and just think of some of them who, who never were Christians or whatever. And, you know, just, you know, not, you, know, you really don't want that, you know, and uh, they see that. So, so in summary, we're basically saying is to be a good, uh, to, to be a good Christian parent is to, to model and embody the gospel and everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. So, that's all. That's all. It's a straightforward yeah. task, guys. Come on. <laughs> Well, you know, so in the, in the book, you know, I, so I talk about truth and I talk about plausibility structures and mm. why certain things seem real to, to people or not and that, how the culture does that. And and showing kids how sure it seems when you're looking at that magazine cover or hearing something that that seems like it's like for my son, uh, Dominic is the musician, all his life growing up, I would say, you know, if you like, let's say we bought him a guitar and I said, now your life has meaning. Hmm. And he would say, shut up. <laughs> because, I would do this. Oh, I still do it, you know, hmm. over and over because those things aren't going to give you fulfillment, you know, but the plausibility of the culture says, yeah, if you just had that, right. You, some, one of you guys said earlier, if you just had that and then you're going to be, you know, so you're teaching them all through those kind of means what's real and what's not. And I think, because, you used the word earlier, uh, Phil, uh, explanatory power, which is probably one of my favorite kind of apologetics tactic things or whatever. But what mm-hmm. explains this, right? What best mm-hmm. explains? What gives it the most power? And in, when you talk about the gospel and forgiveness and love, and, and how do you explain that? Does that come from atoms smashing together? If you're a pantheist, does it come from, you know, the... the all being absorbed into the nothingness, a la John Lennon, you know, or what best explains it. So there's just so many mechanisms to, to me, I think when I get emotional about my relationship with God, it's because he's, I know in those moments he's real and he loved me. I won't get emotional now, but I'll try not to, but, you know, and you make God real to your kids, whether like Phil, Dan, you know, it's, you don't have to be, the, you know, studying uh, William Lane Craig and J.P. Morland at all. You don't, you know, you just don't. But you can make God real to your kids. And that's through whatever. Mm-hmm. They know that. Then they know the stuff out there is just not real. It's idols, right? It was Isaiah 44. Anyway, the Isaiah 40s where, where uh, he mocks the idols. You know, he goes, cuts down a tree. 
He makes f- some fire for the, he cooks his food on it. Then he carves this little, sets it there and he worships it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. It's, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> and and our, our idols aren't as crude, but they're, they have the about same fulfillment power. Mm-hmm. You know, like a block of wood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What I'll yeah. be doing on on my children's tenth birthday, though, we're getting William Lane Craig's. That's what I want it done in a week. The bedtime <laughs> every night for a year. That's what we'll be reading to get through. Oh, this will give you purpose. <laughs> <laughs> no more questions until you finish reading this. So I, I hope you don't know even it. finish it. <laughs> 10 year old <laughs> yeah i mean oh, did I some... say that aloud sorry that's that was heresy some stuff i read though like like jp uh and even c.s lewis you know i'll read and i'll i'll read that paragraph again and again and again <sighs> i'm not getting this you know i mean they're just like and it's somewhere up here it's funny well they but... just didn't write clearly no <laughs> <laughs> Their fault. <laughs> it's their fault. So blame, blame them. I mean, humble, humble, uh, always. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's been a, a real pleasure to to sort of go around the circle of uh, parenting with you, Mike. Was it was there anything? I'm just aware of time and uh, general uh, screen wariness, but <laughs> be, I'd be interested. Is is there anything from your from your book that's that we haven't particularly touched on that you think is probably the uh, a core thing that should be shared um, that you'd like, you'd like to, to get yes. out there. I'm so grateful you brought that up. Um, that's why I printed out the, the thing here, uh, whatever the, uh, I, one of my chapters seven is self pity's greatest enemy. It's all about gratitude. <clears throat> and um, Oh, so all of my chapters are, it's all about, and the reason is because it's, it's silly, right? Because it was all—it's all about truth. That's why it's like this girl didn't really believe it was the truth, and then I went to started talking writing about parenting. It's like it's all about parenting too, and it's all about trust. Or, and so um, the one—it's all about gratitude. <clears throat> I remember JP telling me once, because he's sort of a relation, anyway, to the family, but he said, you know, nobody gets mad at the tooth fairy, and I think that's kind of common, maybe in apologetic circles, but I'd never heard it. And it's, it's true, you know, and, and, and so I've really, I pounded this into my kids um, to take personal responsibility. And <clears throat> well, it's interesting when you look at the, com- the command to be grateful in the Bible, it's all over the place to be thankful. Paul says, in fact, he says in uh, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't really say that about many things, you know, this is God's will for you to give thanks. And when you extend the understanding of what he's saying there is that, uh, well, Romans 8, 28 is another favorite one, you know, stuff happens in their life. And Roman Paul says, we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I always say, well, probably 98%. There's no way Paul meant all. (laughs) You know, seriously. And I'd always get to chuckle. It always, even to this day, I guess it's like, cause stuff still happens. Right. And, uh, mm. but it's, it's all things work together for good. Not that they are good, but they are good for you and his glory. And ultimately our perspective is eternal. If it isn't, then it's, what are we doing? Right. 
And so teaching them to give thanks and not to feel themselves the victim. Self-pity, you know, poor me, you know, this didn't happen. And we're all, that is like, that is the inclination of every sinful heart. I'm a victim and I want you to feel sorry for me. Mm. And uh, so teaching them to be grateful and give thanks and to, you know, when we prayed, whatever, I always say, God, give us a heart of gratitude. Let us be thankful. Mm. And, uh, and then telling them, you know, when a situation comes up, in fact, I had a, a niece and her husband and they'd had some really struggles. And I asked them one day, this toughest four years of my life, blah, blah. And I said, have you ever um, thanked God for that? And he looked at me like, mm, no, <laughs> you know, but it's hard mm-hmm. to give thanks when it's pain. You know, it's hard to give thanks, but what, so you, to me, as I've grown older, cause now I'm, uh, it's so bizarre to say 61, but, when mm-hmm. you get older, I've realized that my biggest sin is lack of trust in God. You know, I've, I have plenty of the other stuff out there that's pretty apparent, but I really don't trust him and uh, by nature. And it's just, it's interesting. I, I, I have a blog post I'm going to eventually get to called the trust challenge. You know, when something happens, your first inclination is to go, oh. well, one of my favorite, I just did that on purpose. <laughs> no, but it truly is. It truly is. Dude, you can't have that many favorite verses. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts you. If you don't have perfect peace, you don't trust. And my daughter going through labor, I sent her a text on that verse and I said, you can trust him. Amen. Amen. That's mm. But but the point is, is that when you teach them that they you they literally get to a point in their life where they can't feel sorry for them. I mean, I it took me a lot of years. I was probably in my 50s before I couldn't feel sorry for myself. Literally, I mean, mm-hmm. I did a lot when I was younger, like you kids. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> you children. I, I got told I look like I'm 25, so I'll take that. <laughs> I, that's why I asked you if you were in your 30s, because I thought, well, you know. But I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't feel like I look like I'm 25. But that's one thing um, that we didn't talk about that I think is ginormous because, you know, a lot of people leave the faith because they're angry at God. You know, God just, mm. you know, they're just angry. And and you hear these yeah. deconversion stories and you hear a lot of that in there. Yeah. Well, he's, he's not the God I expected him to be. Uh, and and if and if we if our churches have been inadvertently teaching therapeutic deism and it's no longer therapeutic or moral because they've hurt me, yes. Well, the deism's not going to hold you when when things get really tough. And that's a great why, point. Why is it? Um, why should I say thank you to to the the watchmaker that abandoned his world? So it's, it's just... and, and 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 related to that is something that's also huge. One of my favorite verses. So Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4. So whenever I get to the point where I don't understand, which is a lot, you know, I think about hell and it just, it oppresses me, you know. I want real hell for the baddies, you know. (laughs) (laughs) know, His solid Hitler mouth, fine. But so I always come back. uh, And of course, when there's tragedies and painful things happen in our lives, I go back to, uh, to, to Deuteronomy 3, 2, 4, when 
Moses is uh, going to die before he goes into the promised land. And he says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Okay. Hmm. I'll trust you. Yeah. It, he, so it's his character that's on the line, you know. And I, I'm going to trust his character before I'm going to trust my lion eyes or my own understanding, right? Yeah. 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 So yep. That's good. And that's a great thing to teach your children. I mean, it's just, and I'm still teaching them that, you know. Yeah. And then I have a whole hopefully soon a, a granddaughter i could start lecturing awesome. <laughs> yeah well, definitely yeah awesome dan any sort of um last questions or or, or thoughts no i'm sure it's made me think um so I, I it's been interesting talking about this topic and thinking about it before we um we started chatting um yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. I've been really enjoyed listening to your um, you know, kind of things you've done and your perspective and things. It's definitely uh, given me given me food for thought. Well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. It's, yeah. uh, God, it's, God is it's good. One of these in- interesting things of uh, taking it into how how we teach in general. I, my my parenting experience is, is slightly different from most, but uh, that's a, that's another story that um, people can find in it. In the, our introduction uh, video, uh, our very first one, but just in terms of how how we teach anyway, mm-hmm. as as preachers or teachers or just friends of uh, friends with kids, that just to remember that that teaching is is beyond is not just what we say. And it, and oftentimes it's the times that we mess up mm-hmm. that and how we respond to that mess up that that teaches people better that, I, that, that, of I, of what the gospel is. I have a great message God's been getting through to me recently. That um, well, I have a great friend whose son uh, was a drug addict, my best friend, and um, we started a relationship. You know, as he was, I knew him as a kid, but as an adult and. And then we started a relationship and then, you know, over time, uh, he got clean, blah, blah, blah. And it, he ended up dying, OD. And, you know, it's like, you know, I prayed and you said no. And <clears throat> fortunately, he knew, knew Jesus. So in, 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 in um, John 11, 25, 26, he isn't dead. He's with Christ. Hmm. And, um, but, and then through other experiences with my kids and friends and relatives, I just realized, you know, what I say has absolutely no power, zero, literally zero power in and of itself. Right. And it just takes. So, but so you can still be that person and teach them and lecture, whatever, but it isn't up to me. Mm. What I say just doesn't really matter. And that, that, it's it's really an earned humility because it's the truth, you know. Nothing happens yeah. unless God does it. Yeah. Period. Is that interesting though? It it doesn't, but it does it does. So I I find the um, Colossians four passage quite quite helpful in this. Is that pray that God will open the door, but um, I will speak clearly. Mm. I, I keep coming back to that passage. That you, God God in in 
his awesomeness and transcendence has chosen to partner with us in this Amen. teaching and and working <clears throat> to bring about his the gospel of good news and the humility in that is that yes he is the one that gives us opportunities he's also the one that forgives us when we don't take those opportunities mm-hmm. but also in that we we are called to to put some work in and to oh. do our utmost to to follow uh to follow him and he continues to transform us as we continue to seek him oh, and it's there's there's so much in that that's such a beautiful story and well, beautiful. Be, being being a calvinist you know the people will tend to say you know basically and i, I talk about it in the book because I, I talk i have a chapter on theology and teaching our kids the big picture of redemptive right. history how important that is right and and then i do a section on cal you know calvinism and i tell tell in the beginning i say if you if you don't like Calvinism, don't read this. <laughs> it's just going to make you angry. And uh, but but you never. So most people, their caricature of Calvinism, and a lot of Calvinists live up to it, is that uh, that uh, is determinism, right? It's just a it's just God determines every, you know. And I've learned you never play God's sovereignty off of our responsibility. They both exist. We're accountable. We're free. We know that. And even though he's the one who works in me to will and work according to his good purpose, he's the one working and I've got to work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? So those two are just meshed, but she, you know, God is the one who animates all growth and makes things happen. And, and you're, you know, I say in the book, we're secondary causes. You know, he's the primary cause of all things and we're the secondary. He lets us, you know, as long as we kind of understand, you know, we're secondary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got that mixed up for a long time. I th- yeah. I think we've all got to go through that. Mike, it's, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting and I'm sure we could could carry this on for longer. Um, but where the time. People are getting and... tired of me. Well, no, no. It's <laughs> It's, it's life. No, I've listened life, to a bunch is- of yours. I love that you guys are long form. I love it because, uh, you know, the, the biggest pod. So one of my pet peeves is, you know, there's only five minute videos or whatever pod, you know, things. It's like people, you know, young people can't pay attention. And yet the biggest podcast on earth is a guy who interviews people for three yeah, hours. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mad. I don't know how he does it. Uh, He's lots of whiskey. Well. I think lots of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gone on my heathen list. Yeah. He needs to find Jesus, boy. Yeah. The only time he brings up Jesus is when he uses his name in vain. So he yeah. needs Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got yeah got some people on there that well he's had Jordan Peterson on there maybe that's close but mm. anyway that's that's a whole other kettlefish. So oh, yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike, thank thank you so much for for joining us. It's been a pleasure and. um your website is the persuasive Christian parent.com. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I make writing a new book um, about the Bible. And so I'm rebranding. So it's, you can get there from persuasive Christian parent.com or my name, okay. Mike DeVirgilio.com. <clears throat> so either way. And, uh, and so I'm going to repurpose that. And so trying to cool. we'll be figuring that out in the next month or two, we'll but I, 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 I for you. Yes. Thank yeah, you. And yeah, then, yeah. um, I got these books ready because you said you always just say you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You weren't gonna, yeah. you weren't gonna stiff me on that, were you? No, no, no. no. You, you give us your free books. You give it to we're, 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 we're out of practice. It's the, obviously been a little while. <laughs> I'm saying I'm gonna be ready for them when they ask. 
<laughs> the most prepared we've had. Yeah, got it. Give, give, give us the resources that. Well, we well, now I'm embarrassed because one of them was going to be this. I just didn't know it was out of date. <laughs> it's a good book. You should read it. It's just, just be aware. Well, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you about that because it's been a while, you know, since I read it. Really, about 2015 when I was, you know, starting really to get into this. That was one of the first, yeah. and it was one of the things that was instrumental for me in it. Was he said that the other person the burden of proof is just as much on them as you right they they have to defend their view mm. so i call it now i call it the consideration of the alternative if you don't believe in a you got to believe in b or c or whatever mm. you don't just not believe in nothing you know no, so that no, was no. i really enjoyed and appreciate that and then for the no, podcast that was the reason for god that was uh, a reference oh sorry no it's all good it's all good i i was i was, I was uh, sometimes right i do i do too <laughs> I download them on my. Oh my gosh! Here, check this out. Sorry, this is old school, and I am old. That's what I listen to my podcast. Negative <laughs> laugh. He mocks me. He mocks me. <laughs> I like it now. There's a few of them about still. That's, yeah. I know. I'm thank God because I, I I'm so used to it, and That's I download cool. everything. I take your YouTube videos. I put them on a MP3 converter, and then I pop them on here. There you go. Yeah. So. That's, that's um, the way to do it. Yeah, and then another one that I think is huge, especially if someone's sort of new, and mm. is uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. By Eisler and Turek. Yeah, <clears throat> and you know, there's just it's just you know, there's tons of stuff in here. I mean, you have to be pretty motivated to to engage it, but it's really wonderful, basic, good, basic stuff. And um, so I would encourage mm. that. And I like the idea of faith because. Atheism is faith, you know, whereas people don't tend to think that, you know, they're scientific and they don't believe in God, so they don't need faith. That's why my book after next is going to be about that, God no. willing. And then the last one is uh, Tactics oh, by Kugel. Uh, yeah, 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 Kugel. Yeah. I love this book because it's so, uh, like you said, you just ask questions. You don't really have to know a whole lot. And then people realize how little they know. And my, when I read this, I told my son, I gave it to all of them. I said, it just, I, it, it shows how weak the alternatives are. Hmm. They just can't, they can't stand the, the scrutiny, you know? And that's the kind of confidence you can give your kids and, and they're just not going to go run after some other, you know, nice thing. Anyway. No, so, they're, um, they're, cool. they're, they're very, very good recommendations. I haven't, I haven't I've, I've read, uh, I've, I've read them and they're, they're all, they're all very good. Um, and yeah, no disrespect to Tim Keller. I'm, as I know, you've quoted Keller a lot. I'm a, I'm a Keller. How dare you, Dan? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, no, he was our premarital counselor at Westminster too. Wow. Yeah, that was before he was Tim Keller. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It's, it's like I still remember the things he said. One of the great things is this is so Keller. He said the first thing we're sitting there, and he goes, "I don't even know if he said hi." He goes, <laughs> he goes. The only sinner bigger than the one you're marrying is you. How rude. Now, I need to remember that for when I do marriage prep. <laughs> That's a great intro. That's that, great that is amazing. Hi. The only sinner <laughs> worse. And it's like, hi. yeah. Um, and then afterwards, and he, he said also, there's a few things. Remember, don't always say always and everything. And then um, don't, don't ask your spouse why they did something. Because what's the only response they can give you? I'm a jerk. Right, I I don't know. I'm a jerk. <laughs> I use that all the time. 
<laughs> Thirty-five years. Been very effective. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not persuaded. I'm going to try that. But um, <laughs> your brain come on, Dan. <laughs> cool. We'll, we'll we'll start closing down the, the channel. Mike, thank you. It's been a, a gentleman pleasure to. Chat. I really appreciate um, it. It's been good. We'll, Pray for uh, England. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, we, we all we all no. need it. Amen. Amen, brother. Uh, thanks to those who are watching on YouTube. Thanks for those who are watching the podcast or downloading, putting you through an MP3 converter and putting it onto a, a very old <laughs> iPod MP3 player. Um, you're welcome to do that. And uh, do feel free to uh, comment or review this if you're on a podcast uh, service. We would love to have more people engage with us, uh, challenge us, ask us questions. Um, if you've got people that we should talk to, do let us know and we, we'd love to try and connect them. We've got some lined up over the next uh, few weeks. We've got hopefully uh, someone named Lisa Ajay next week. Um, just confirming that, talking about uh, racial justice and a collective that she started. Uh, and then also in a few weeks in Feb, we've got confirmation of talking about Christians and depression. Uh, so we're looking to uh, engage in that topic as well and how we might do better. So do subscribe and, um, yeah, all that stuff on social media as well and let us know what you think. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with uh, Mike and uh, I hope you found it helpful. Let us know. Take care and God bless. See you later. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch, let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.